Yeah, there is um, an expression within the Parkinson's world about when you've met one person with Parkinson's, you've met one person with Parkinson's, that every person is a little bit more unique uh, than the other. Their symptoms, if it's a tremor, or maybe it's not a tremor, it's maybe the shuffle of their feet or their speech or their face muscles, things like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see that the patient population is similar, but very different and why. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Welcome to this episode of Political Contessa. I am Jennifer Nassor, and I'm so happy today I have with me my one of my best friends, my work husband, someone I've known for over 20 years, um, Matt Keswick. Matt is the president of Keswick Consulting, a Boston-based government relations firm and business development firm dedicated to helping organizations achieve maximum results when pursuing public policy objectives. Prior to founding Keswick Consulting, Matt worked for three Massachusetts governors, where he held several high-ranking personnel and policy positions. As a deputy chief secretary, he was responsible for overseeing more than 2,500 political appointments and several hundred boards and commissions including many regulatory authorities. As a result, Matt has forged many strong business and political relationships that endure to this day, me being one of them. And so this is important because of what Matt and I are going to talk about. So if you've been listening, I've kind of changed the holiday theme to being something a little bit more crossing between politics and mental health, physical health, well-being, um, and the intersectionality. Because I believe that politics actually comes into play in all of our lives every single day, whether you see it or not. For those of us like Matt and myself that work in this business, we probably see it a lot more. And so a lot of what we do is not just politics and policy in our work lives, but it's also advocacy. And sometimes that advocacy is something that we have to do for ourselves. So with that, Matt, welcome. Hey, Jennifer, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be with you. And uh, around the holidays, it's always good to have conversations, but um, I'm impressed that uh, we've been able to kind of um, connect Two things. One, uh, the public policy discussion, uh, a timely discussion on health uh, and uh, getting uh, back in front of you. I think it's awesome. And, you know, you and I 
Um, you know, I love to talk politics and actually we love to talk politics always. Um, that is no matter what we're talking about, it always seems to go back uh, to that subject. But today we are going to talk a little bit about or a lot of it about Parkinson's disease and the intersectionality of policy, politics and advocacy. So let's get started here. Um, Nat, you're a lobbyist, a consultant, a husband and father. You've been active in government and politics basically your whole adult life. So from working in governor's offices to doing fundraising for candidates and charitable organizations, you have always had quite the busy schedule. But then a little over eight years ago, you got some life-changing news. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? It's kind of like that boxing analogy. It's not the punches that land, it's how you land the punches type thing. So you get bad news and you roll with it. Um, you have two options in life. You can live your life or you can be miserable. And I chose to live my life. So you talk about my schedule. Um, you know, I've like curtailed my schedule a little bit. I think it actually has more to do with the pandemic and um, being out there than anything else. It's not that I'm afraid to see people. It's not that I can't see people. I can get around. If anything, my travel has actually increased. I've been to, uh, you know, eight countries since my diagnosis, um, traveled all around the country uh, for work and for pleasure. And uh, if anything, the um, awakening or news that um, you talked about has actually been an awakening for me to live life and live life to the fullest. Which you've always done. And I think, but I think it probably made it a little bit so that way you wouldn't take it for granted and could enjoy life a little bit more. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think um, I've, you know, used the um, quote before that God opened a window. Let me see a little bit of a look into my future. And I'm blessed. I'm lucky to have that opening. A lot of people don't. And, you know, they live their lives waiting for everything for retirement and maybe retirement never happens. So I've kind of living a hybrid life, I guess you'd say, doing some things instead of waiting for retirement now. And then obviously continuing to work as well. Now, how do you think, which, I mean, I watched your perspective on your personal life change with your diagnosis, but how do you think Parkinson's has changed your work life and that work family life balance? Um, it's kind of a twofold answer. One, um, it's shifted my priorities of being around for things uh, more, um, you know, being home for family events, uh, being home for my son's sports, for his games things like that. I think it's put more of an emphasis on that, that, you know, what is really important in life. And we always have a, a saying around here in our house about the calendar and about events you have to go to. And it's like, do you have to be there or do you have to be there? And that's kind of the litmus test we do. So we pare back our schedules. It doesn't make us less busy. It just shifted our priorities a little bit. I think that's great. And, and you've been so vocal about it. I mean, you, you are a uh, very active um, participant, supporter, uh, someone who organizes, does a lot of organizing around the Fox Foundation. What, um, how do you feel that the Fox Foundation has impacted your going out and advocating for Parkinson's, not advocating for Parkinson's disease, but for research, for dollars, and for what we're going to talk about coming up. 
Yeah, I um, simply said I love the Fox Foundation. I love everything they do. I love um, how they're branded. I love how they're marketed. I love how they do outreach. I love their staff. I call them my Fox family. Um, they've been great to work with. And it's one of those things that, you know, um, charity is great to help out, but when you really like the people you're working with, it makes it even easier. So um, I've been an advocate, uh, I guess, and um, it really helped them fundraise over the years, but also got involved in the public policy front, um, joining their public policy committee a number of years ago, but then kind of flipping things a little bit. And for me being a lobbyist and lobbying on behalf of others, I actually started lobbying on behalf of myself and my fellow Parkinson's patients with the Fox Foundation to actually uh, advance some legislation here in Massachusetts, which is based on some national uh, models on basically creating a national Parkinson's registry, but starting in each state. What What is the number of people in Massachusetts alone that have Parkinson's disease? Well, that's a great question. Um, we don't know. Um, there's approximately 22,000. Um, it's a pretty good guesstimate. Researchers have come up with that. That's from a 2019 study that the Fox Foundation did. But until we actually get this registry up and running um, within the Department of Public Health and drill down through you know, electronic medical records and other sources, we can't give the true number. So that's kind of one of the exciting things that there's a lot of questions that people are asking. We don't have the answers now and we have Alexa and we've got Google and we've got all these great you know, tools, but we still don't have this, the solid answer. So this is actually gonna help us get closer to uh, data and actually hopefully closer to a cure. So the Parkinson's registry for Massachusetts, are there other models around the country that um, are models for Massachusetts? Yeah, there's uh, actually three out there. The Fox Foundation has um, worked with multiple states in uh, filing legislation and passing legislation. Um, I guess the closest um, to what Massachusetts is looking to achieve would be what California um, passed a couple of years back. I mean, that's a good good large state to take uh, to kind of follow, I guess, in their footsteps. So um, so let's keep on this registry thing. So, I mean, I am always cynical of more bureaucracy and whatever, and, and you know, having people shoved on boards that maybe have no interest just because they're political appointments. I mean, is this going to be a real functioning registry from what you've seen in the other three states? Is it going to be something that is just, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to see you work to do something and then just be filled with political hacks. Is this going to be, how, how is this going to fill out and where is it in the legislature? Yeah, so the um, language that actually created it was, um, I guess, a best uh, practices uh, authored by the Fox Foundation. We actually worked with the legislature here in Massachusetts to pass that language. So, it, of course, everything's political, but this is more uh, focused on um, science and research in collaboration. So it's not, you know, somebody down the street who gave, you know, somebody 50 bucks for a donation. It's a movement disorder specialist, actually a couple of them. It's Parkinson's researchers, it's patients. So it's slotted and divided seats. It's not just putting people out there that want a nice letter on their wall from the governor or whatever the appointing authority is, but it's actually people that have qualifiers that actually get them there. And you know, I don't think anybody would volunteer for this board if they didn't have an interest um, in Parkinson's or you know, a connection to Parkinson's. So I'm sure that um, the Department of Public Health will do a great job 
of uh, vetting good candidates. And we are so blessed and so lucky. We're talking about California. And you talk about California's healthcare system and their biotech and life sciences. You combine that with what we have in Massachusetts. You know, between those two states, that's going to be some of the brightest, no offense to the other 48 states, but some of the brightest researchers, some of the brightest doctors, um, some of the best uh, research institutions, hospitals, healthcare facilities. So I'm excited that we have that in Massachusetts now coupled with the registry getting online. And so where is this registry so far in the legislature and as far as the governor goes? Yeah, so just uh, taking a little bit of a step back, um, I mentioned to you before that, you know, being a lobbyist, I lobby on behalf of clients. This time I kind of flipped things a little bit with my advocacy work with the Fox Foundation. Um, instead of raising money this past year, I actually switched my roles to actually becoming a client and offering up my services to um, the Fox Foundation as a lobbyist, but also on behalf of myself. And, you know, I'm not promoting it to, you know, say that this is all about Matt Keswick or this was important to me. Certainly it was, but it was important to me for one reason. It was about the next person, not about me. Um, you know, the research and data that comes out of this is going to be extremely helpful in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to be even more helpful. So it's not about me. It's about the next guy or the next woman or the next person. So I was able to um, basically take my skills that I learned, like you said, 20 years lobbying, uh, plus you know, 25 years up at the state, I was working with elected officials. I just want to give a little bit of a nuance about this, that what I worked on and collaborated with the legislature was not as much about my skill set of being a lobbyist. It was about being a person. It was about being a patient. It was about being a human being. For anyone else outside of us or in Massachusetts, or really anyone in Massachusetts might not even know this, but the legislature, right, is overwhelmingly democratic. And so, and not democratic as in, <laughs> as, as in our democratic system, but overwhelmingly Democrats running the show there. And you have been an active Republican for your life. So how have you found turning your vocation into advocation and being able to connect with those legislators who maybe sometimes aren't on the same side as you are or on an issue that you're usually out there supporting? Yeah, you alluded to the Democratic piece. And um, yeah, you're right. I think the numbers and the House of Representatives out of 160 members, I think 135 Democrats, a pretty small percentage, 25 of them being Republicans, and even worse in the Senate, I think it's 36 to 4 or 37 to 3. So you don't get anything done without being bipartisan and uh, reaching across the aisle. I've always felt that way working for Republican governor. Governor Weld, Governor Salucci, Governor Swift, who I worked with, were all successful because they had great relationships with the Democratic Speaker of the House, the Democratic Senate President, were able to implement their uh, initiatives and their ideas. So it's a collaborative effort. Now, you're not going to agree on everything, but you have to remember that I'm a Massachusetts resident, they're a Massachusetts resident. They send their kids to schools, they run businesses in the state. We all have a vested interest in success. You know, the definition of success may be a little bit different, but we're all, you know, on the same team or should be on the same team. So when I approached a couple of friends of mine in the legislature about this, it was never a controversial thing about we have to do a statewide tour and we got to do hearings everywhere. It was, of course, this, you know, is more like a no brainer in the words of Charlie Baker, our, our governor. So it just made sense. But 
you can't just walk into the state house and say this makes sense pass it obviously there's about 8000 bills that get filed every year and only a couple hundred of them actually pass so i was able to basically forge my relationship and forge my ties but again i want to qualify this this is me about being a human not being a lobbyist and not having access to folks at the state house the speaker of the house who has become a friend over the years actually represented the city i lived in for a number of years quincy ron mariano great person just got to know him representing the city of quincy it was not you know a political co- uh, connection per se but it was you know seeing him at uh, groundbreakings or at parades and things like that and just getting to know him and similarly with other elected officials you know kind of growing up with them and knowing them as a person not as representative not the honorable not senator so and so but knowing them on a different level and these people like i said you know they are massachusetts residents a lot of people think that you know they're higher and mightier but they're not they they're humans they have parkinsons in their family too and i think that that's really important for people i mean you know again you and i both know um, the names of our state reps and our state senators and and who's representing us in in congress um, however, the majority of people actually don't know who their locally elected officials are or who is their state, um, their their federal member in Congress, uh, you know, for Congress or a U.S. Senate. And so I think it's really important, you know, that you point that out, because just because someone is of a different party than you are in the area that you live, that doesn't mean that you still don't have the same perspective of making sure that, you know, someone could be coming from the right, someone from the left, that doesn't mean that you don't want to see everything continue to go forward and get better. It, it just means you're in different parties. So it's a good reason and, and a good example as to why people should forge those relationships with their local elected officials. So that way they can do some advocacy on their own as well. Yeah, you raise a good point. And of course, you just can't walk into the state house and wave a sheet of paper around and expect the legislature to vote on it that day. Um, There is some personal responsibility that we all need to take for civics, just like anything in life that you need to learn. Um, You know, school doesn't finish at high school or college. There's always lifelong learning. So just being educated on who your elected officials are, who represents you, because these are folks that advocate for you, not only for a Parkinson's registry, but also for school funding for your kids, for parks, for roads and bridges, for you know local things in your neighborhood and your district that actually mean something to you or affect you more than the president of the United States on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think that people kind of forget that they they get so so drawn into the national stories and the foxes and the CNNs and the MSNBCs. And they, they forget that um, it's really important to pay attention to what goes on in their local level. So I think, you know, going on this is um, basically, I think it's interesting how, you know, when you're, when you're in this business and, or, or for someone who's doing some advocacy work, of course, that's your, your cross-section on this thing. Um, but how people can come together from opposite sides of the spectrum for a common goal without a political motive. And so I think a great example is one, what you have done so far with the Fox Foundation and with this um, Parkinson's Registry in Massachusetts. But I think also 
something that you did that was so cool and unfortunately happened right before the pandemic, so you haven't been able to recreate it, was your bipartisan cause for a cure that you had in the winter of 2020. And you had some former elected officials, current elected officials. Um, it's, I mean, a bipartisan event. And it was 2020, early 2020 in a big election year. How did you pull that off? Who was there? And, and what was the messaging? You know, um, that is actually kind of the start of the story. And um, that's actually the kind of important um, impetus to get this done. And it was more about bringing people together for a common cause. Um, it didn't matter if you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, if you're a federal official, a state official, a woman or a man. It was about just coming together for a common cause. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Justin Griffin, and I were having conversations. And uh, as you know, oh, good conversations usually start with a glass of wine. And uh, we kicked around the idea of doing an event in Washington. And, you know, you talked about the Fox and CNNs of the world throwing out bombs and headlines and things like that. And we're like, if good people get together and don't have rhetoric, they can actually have civil conversations and actually achieve things. So we brought together Democrats and Republicans, governors and congressmen, elected officials, appointed officials, and put them all in the same room for a cause. Um, we put a cocktail party together and it was hugely su successful, raised $140,000. And our title of it was the Bipartisan Cause for a Cure. It wasn't about Democrats or Republicans. They were both there. They were both represented, but they were there on the same page for the same reason, for the same good. Which, again, it was 2020. <laughs> there was a presidential election going on and federal elections going on. And so to be able to put that all together um, was quite remarkable for you to get that done. Um, but I think that goes to also who you are as a person and going to your background of being able to have forged relationships with people in, in public life and people in, in the business world. Um, I know people were there that uh, like former Congressman um, Jack Quinn and former Congressman Peter King, um, Peter, good friend of mine, our governor, Charlie Baker, um, but then also former uh, governor Ed Rundell, right? I mean, so it wasn't like it was just, you know, Joe Schmo, who's in a legislature somewhere. I mean, they're, they're actually, Jim McGovern was there, right? I mean, you had, you had actual people who are elected to office and, and have been policymakers um, who came together. And I think that that speaks to you. I think it speaks to the Fox Foundation. And I think it speaks to, really, again, why um, people need to advocate for things that they believe in and they feel personally, uh, they have a personal interest in, because I think it comes across more genuine when you're talking to folks in Congress. I mean, they, they all do work for us. So um, I, I think that that was pretty remarkable that you were able to pull that off. Yeah, um, this is a bad kind of analogy, but I, when I talk about people that I work with or collaborate with or know the business, I kind of call it my gang. And um, in my gang, we were connected by uh, a mutual connection. I'm just getting a little teary-eyed here. But uh, unfortunately, there is a number of folks in the business um, that have been affected directly by Parkinson's 
just, you know, off the top of my head, Jose Serrano was in Congress out of New York, uh, had Parkinson's, Johnny Isaacson, a former senator from uh, Georgia, has Parkinson's, Ed Rendell, you mentioned the governor of Pennsylvania, former governor of Pennsylvania, former mayor of Philadelphia, uh, and Jack Quinn, um, congressman from Buffalo uh, a number of years ago, all directly affected by that. And it's amazing when you talk about, you know, 435 congressmen and 100 senators out of 535, just four immediately come to mind. And I'm sure there are others. Um, and that speaks of the growing patient population um, nationally that, uh, that have this. So in trying to pull all of these folks together, um, it was personal phone calls. It was getting to know these people and talking about, I have dry mouth, I'm a patient. You know, we have similar, you know, issues with spouses at home who, you know, become more caregivers than spouses. And just the kind of uh, iteration of our lives, how it's changed a little bit. And only folks that Parkinson's, that have Parkinson's can understand what we're going through. So it was more of a human bridge that connected us than anything else. And by the way, can you write a check and can you come to an event? And it was kind of funny talking to Governor Rendell. You know, he kept on asking me, he's like, what do you want? And I said, I want to raise awareness. I want to heighten this. And he kept on thinking that I was asking him for a check for $100,000 or something. He's like, I'm out of political fundraising. So this isn't political fundraising. This is about people. I, I love that. I love the, the human bridge part, right? I mean, that it's, it's true. It's, it's about people. Now, I, I mean, one of the other things, though, for these members of Congress who have Parkinson's and, and were in, or have family members with it, um, I, they understand the amount of federal that the federal government spends annually on Parkinson's. That number is pretty high, isn't it? Yeah, just um, connecting the, the dots here. Uh, back in February of 2020, as you uh, alluded to, we did this event. We hosted at the Georgetown Club down in Washington. And we had a number of our friends, um, JP, uh, Justin Griffin, myself's friends, colleagues, contacts, and elected officials there. And it was about raising money, but it was also raising awareness. And the awareness was actually brought to the elected officials uh, forefront by you know, the Fox Foundation and us in our remarks and us in our comments. And it's really difficult to kind of advance an agenda, especially going up to the Capitol or going up to the White House and talking to people because everyone is up there advocating for themselves and every line item's got a constituency. We did it a little bit differently. We did it in a social setting among friends. And um, you talked about the burden and the amount of uh, patients that are out there. The annual burden, this was a, an uh, annual economic study put up by the Fox Foundation two years ago. The annual economic burden for Parkinson's disease is over $52 billion. Now, half of that's absorbed by the federal government, which we still pay for through Medicare and Social Security. But the rest of it, you know, going to the gym, taking boxing as I do, and, um, you know, paying for medicines and things like that out of pocket, that's $26 billion. Uh, that's a lot of money. And uh, I would say $26 billion is not sustainable. Those numbers with inflation in uh, approaching 2027, um, the number is going to be $80 billion. God, I mean, uh, that that is a unbelievable number that um, I think b through research and through things like uh, state registries could probably help a lot, right? Because the, the state, having a state registry, it will kind of 
bring together the number of people that, that are diagnosed with it, but doesn't it also, won't it also tell you where they live and what influences, um, you know, kind of are around them that might actually bring, you know, uh, I mean, Parkinson's is neurological. So bring about or, or cause Parkinson's disease. Yeah. The numbers are staggering by 2040, just 20 years from now, the patient population is expected to double in this country. You know, the economic burden, just bring it locally here to Massachusetts. It's $1.1 billion, which is only growing. So we have to do something. And the Fox Foundation has been great. The Fox Foundation actually raises the same amount of money as the federal government does for funding research. So we're blessed to have them, but the numbers are just not sustainable looking at the patient population. So we need things like the registry to actually uh, get closer to a cure that you talked about the data that we can pull from it. And we're blessed to have so many great data scientists here in Massachusetts and researchers, but it's gonna be fascinating to look and see people that don't even know each other that might be connected. Either they grew up in the same town or they went to the same school or they live on the same street or their parents worked at some type of you know, engineering uh, facility that might have had chemicals or were exposed to things as a firefighter or whatnot. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see once you put that together, the geography, the um, split between men and women, the age ranges, um, how many folks have early onset, things like that. So it's one thing to get beyond that approximately 22,000, but it's more putting a face on it. Like how many other lobbyists are there from Massachusetts that are in their forties? I, I think it's so awesome. I mean, you know, being able to capture that data, being able to hone in on it. I mean, it may help um, lessen the number of people who are afflicted with Parkinson's disease in the future. It will also help the economic burden from the federal government and from state governments. Um, it being able to capture that data because we can, if it is an influence, you know, something in the air or something in your community or something in a job, it then will help pinpoint that. And I think anything that could help us reduce any risk of, of diseases is amazing. And, you know, thank you for, for putting yourself out there and for doing that. Yeah, there is um, an expression within the Parkinson's world about when you've met one person with Parkinson's, you've met one person with Parkinson's, that every person is a little bit more unique uh, than the other. Their symptoms, if it's a tremor, or maybe it's not a tremor, it's maybe the shuffle of their feet or their speech or their face muscles, things like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see that the patient population is similar, but very different. And why? And what can we do to kind of put everybody basically in the same boat? neurologically and compared to other diseases. You talk about Parkinson's and growing. There are also other neuro diseases out there. The Department of Public Health in Massachusetts actually has a registry um, for ALS. And one of the thoughts is by combining these neuro disease states like multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's and ALS, somebody may be going down the road and trying to find a cure for ALS, but it's actually more applicable to Parkinson's or to MS or to others. So it's gonna be interesting to see collaboration of all this data with researchers, you know, basically putting things on the table and getting a look at information that might be more helpful for pharmaceutical companies, for researchers, for labs, for patient families. I think that's awesome. So is that all that you hope that comes out of your advocacy or is there, is there more, is there more that 
you, that the Fox Foundation, that the that every state around the country can do? What's your hope for the future? Yeah, um, it's difficult to get things done nationally, as we alluded to the gridlock in Washington and the partisan efforts and things like that. So um, sadly, I, I guess the commentary would be is that it might be easier to go to 50 states to pass 50 different Parkinson's registries before the federal government actually does anything about it. Um, there is a database uh, run by the federal government, uh, not for Parkinson's specifically, but that these feeds from California and from uh, Massachusetts and other states could feed into uh, a national database. So I think that's actually the ultimate goal. Um, and even you know, taking it up a level to the international piece is you know, what does a patient look like in the United States versus Canada or Mexico or Israel, places like that? I think that's amazing work that you're doing, amazing work that the Fox Foundation is doing. And kudos to the Massachusetts legislature and to Governor Charlie Baker uh, for getting on this um, with you and helping you to pass this through. Is there anything else, any lessons learned, any new and breaking news that you want to share with us? No breaking news. Well, actually, a little bit of breaking news. I actually just got an email this morning, uh, very timely, that uh, the Department of Public Health is going to appoint me to this council that's going to be governing this this Parkinson's registry. So there's uh, two seats for patients, and uh, they selected me as one of the patients. So I'll be advocating on behalf of myself and my fellow Parkinson's patients, you know, to make sure that we collect the right data and research. I'm not going to get my sleeves or my fingers a little too dirty because we've got researchers and we've got movement sort of specialists and doctors to understand the science of it. But I'll make sure that I'm a voice for the human side of it so we have access to it and can readily understand the data as well. Um, but, you know, in summary and in closing, you know, we as a team did a lot of good work. And, you know, I'm proud of what we did, the outreach, the money we raised, things like that. But the takeaway is that it's not just me that did it. It's people that have come together for a common cause. And it doesn't have to be Parkinson's. It could be something else. It's more about bringing people together and talking about things and getting things achieved. You know, in life, you don't get things by fighting on a playground. You don't get things by throwing rocks at each other. But when you bring somebody into your home and invite them over for dinner, talk about family and talk about friends and talk about common things, sports, uh, family, um, it really bridges the gap. And you realize that we're all Massachusetts residents. We're all humans. We're all Americans. We're all people. And we have different issues that we have to deal with. You know, some people may have other diseases like cancer in their family. We've got Parkinson's in our family. But we're, we're all, you know, on the same earth, in the same state, and hopefully looking to advance um, cures and solutions for whatever we're facing. I, I love that. God, I, you know, that should be the motto for everyone. I know we feel it here in Massachusetts politics. We feel it in national politics. Everyone feels it in their own states. But it's true. You know, we, we have to view each other in maybe a kinder way and understand that we're all entitled to our own opinions because those are shaped by different life circumstances, whether it's Parkinson's on your end, Tourette's syndrome on my end, you know, it's, it's all different things that, that we have to face. You know, we're all people and there's humanity uh, or should be humanity in the political process because that's, you know, that's what we're all, we're all sharing the same earth and the same air. And, and so it's, I think that's all important. Well, Matt, my friend, 
Thank you again so much for being here with me today to discuss bipartisanship and unity and rallying around a cause for all of those people that issues affect. I feel like this is why we have government. Um, it's to keep chaos at bay and to help people who really need the help. And I think that our elected officials need to keep that in mind, stop the Twitter wars and the infighting, and maybe remember why they are public servants. It's not about ego or parties or Twitter hits. It's actually about helping people. I am Jennifer Nassour, the political Contessa, and I wish you and your family a happy holiday season. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com.